<laughs> Hello and welcome back to the world's best podcast solely dedicated to mountain bike stage racing and Rory Cunningham and I's rants and opinions along with the odd special guests along the way. This week, normal service, it's a fairly relative concept around these parts, is resumed thanks to Finlay and your own dispatches from across the pond, Rory, but this week it's just going to be the two of us again. Dream team. Uh, Dream team, yeah, back once again. Let me set the table for the listeners. You're just back from the States as you sit in front of me now. You're wearing a big foam statue of Liberty Crown, USA Stars and Stripes, leather effect, baseball jacket and a Budweiser vest. How was your trip? <laughs> Wishful thinking on your part, but yeah. Um, and, and I did actually buy... Uh, no, actually, that's that's a lie. Um, Chris bought me a cam- leaf camouflage hat, which will, will be graced... Uh, on the golf course at some point, but yeah, it was a flying visit to the US, um, flew into the East Coast of Boston, um, fairly flat out six days, checking out the, the new venues for 2022, but um, yeah, it was uh, action-packed and uh, well worth the trip. Um, we'll not go over it too much because we're regular listeners, we've had a couple of weeks of uh, special guests on the podcast from that trip, um, feel free to rifle back through those and have a listen if you missed anything about our upcoming back-to-back u.s venues burke in vermont and sugarloaf in maine sat from a cold damp scotland it looked like you had a pretty decent time of it tell us just a wee bit then about the venues and uh, what can we look forward to yeah so like i said we flew into boston and then we had a i think it was three or four hours drive up to vermont uh, we arrived in the dark so it's one of those standard cases of you don't really know what to expect in the morning that's a bit um, of an EWS. That's an EWS staple, isn't it? We love that crack arriving yeah, late at night. You kind of, yeah, you kind of, you're in the darkness, squinting, wondering if is that the outline of the mountain I could see yeah. against the skyline, or is it just That's a familiar. tree? Yeah, um, so <laughs> just a tree. <laughs> so yeah, we had a quick meeting with the uh, local team in the morning, and then truthfully, we were straight out on the trails in at the deep end. Um, so conditions were. We're pretty wet, pretty slippy, and, and the upper mountain at Burke is, uh, you know, very steep, very technical. A lot of big, um, a lot of big natural rock features, and reminded me a lot of the terrain I used to see in the old uh, Norba race footage from the kind of Earth and, and maybe even Sprung videos. Those kind of big, um, rocky slabs with like a, a layer of slime over the top of them, and then in this case, it had just been fall, so a lot of uh, a lot of leaves um, lying and hiding things as well, but. Um, yeah, I mean that sort of stuff's right up my street, as you know. Um, did you ever uh, race it? Did you ever race any Norbas back in your day? Were you? No. Was did you? Did you? Were they gone by the time you were sort of in your w- in your pomp? Yeah, it was kind of the era before me. Unfortunately, I used to love watching the footage. Um, they always had a bit of an air of mystique about them. The mean Norbas, mm. they always look. They always look pretty cool. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, some of my favourite race footage, probably ever, was some of the. The stuff from Clay Porter's um, Synopsis and Hypnosis, which would have been yeah. kind of 2003, 4, 5 era. Um, some of the Norba races just looked incredible, just flat out. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, yeah, North America at its peak. Um, yeah. and t- until next year, of course. But um, Until next year, a new peak. <laughs> but yeah, um, top of the mountain, real steep, technical, a lot of rock. And then the bottom is... Um, a lot mellower, some fast and flowing single track, and and some amazing dirt underneath the leaves. If if uh, if you got down to that, but all in all, really really good mix. Um, given given the footprint of the resort and how kind of how small it was, and uh, and also um, because I know this will be right up your street. 
Um, Go on. Travis Pastrana was there in the summer practicing uh, hill climb up the mountain road, which will be one of the liaisons um, ah. in, some ri- in some ridiculous Subaru rally car. Um, so worth a watch on YouTube if you can uh, search that one. So maybe I'll, Pastrana. I'll that out. Yeah, because his cars are built by Vermont Sports Car, um, who I am going to doorstep when we're there. Is my plan? I'm just going to rock up and have a look around, <laughs> have, a, have a poke about the bins out the back. Yeah, there um, was uh, a lot of rubber laid down at the top. I think he'd got to the top and there's a bit of a parking lot and he'd done a bunch of burnouts. So they were still very visible when we got there. And uh, needless to say, we went up the up the road a bit slower. But um, yeah, um, really cool spot. And uh, yeah, excited to, excited to race there next year. Yeah, no, I'm excited to go there, actually. Um, so how was Maine? Yeah, so a couple of days in Burke and then straight um, straight on the road to Maine. Uh, geographically, pretty close, um, but I guess you know the US. We we kind of we often forget how big it is. You know, it's like three hour drive, and you look at it on a map, and it looks like you've you've moved like two mil. <laughs> yeah, coming just... coming from uh, coming from Northern Ireland, the US is pretty sizable. Yeah, um, yeah. People who are forty minutes away from me are the other side of the moon traditionally. So. Yeah. That is, yeah, it's pretty big, isn't it? Mm, that's uh, pretty colossal. Um, so we set off, um, we tried to set off in the light because we had to drive through something known as Moose Alley, uh, which got us all excited and on our seats thinking we were going to see a moose, and, and needless to say, we didn't see anything. Um, so that was a bit of a letdown. But, uh, we arrived at Sugarloaf. <laughs> Actually, that's a lie. We saw a few deer, but I mean... You know, it's not a moose, is it? It's, yeah, it's not a moose, and you can. I mean, the amount of deer photos you send me from from your kind of living room window doesn't really. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, have the yeah. same excitement about it. So, again, we arrived in the dark. Um, yeah, moose sighting uh, eluded us, and to be met by none other than uh, mountain bike legend, and I don't say that lightly, but Adam Craig. He is a boy. legend, isn't he? He is an absolute boy. What an absolute boy! Um, so yeah. Um, Great, great to great to see him on board. He's working with the guys from Sugarloaf, um, helping with the the course design for next year. So very much in safe hands, and um, yeah, the location at um, Sugarloaf. I, in my head, I thought because it's quite close geographically, it would be very similar terrain wise, but actually very very different. Had a much more alpine feel to it, um, kind of rocky up top with some really cool. Um, wooded sections linked together with those kind of classic uh, undulating uh, grassy pieces. I absolutely loved it. So um, two quite different venues. I think both are going to be very unique in their own way and, and, and should provide some great racing. So um, yeah, it was a, a flying visit, but uh, well worth it. And I thoroughly enjoyed my time and uh, yeah, pulled off the most ridiculous 360 in the snow as well. And the food is the footage might it was completely unintentional I'd love to say I meant it but um, what, what on what on bike foot rental car what are we talking bike like bike? A, just did a pirouette going about 20k an hour <laughs> yeah it, it's um, it was a strange one I mean the, the snow cannons were on up top so um, because of the temperature there they, they started to make snow um, and there was this kind of this really kind of <laughs> lumpy kind of roller, um, I guess, stream of snow down one of the pieces. So we all just kind of went, ah, we'll just ride down that instead of 
trying to yeah. bumble across all the rocks at the sides and yeah second time didn't quite um didn't quite pay off but uh yeah you only have to do it once to to stomp it so that's fine but um, yeah cool trip i'll uh i'll need to uh i'll need to pester somebody to see that footage um it's early doors you're only just back from your first time there but like in terms of racers who do you think strength is going to play to i think burke's definitely going to favor those that that like it steep and technical um mm-hmm. But the way the way the mountain is, and some of the stages they have planned, you are going to require a little bit of horsepower and some fitness on the the lower kind of um, mellower trails. Um, I'm sure Richie Rudd will be very very hungry to win on on what is effectively home turf for him. He's um, a few hours away from there, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. In American terms, it's his you know his home race for us. It's you know different yeah. continent, but um, yeah, I'm sure he'll be hungry for it. Sugarloaf. It'll be faster, and although the technical aspect, there will be it'll be technical in sections. I think it will favour riders who are comfortable pushing the envelope speed wise. Um, a lot of the wooded sections have some really nice, like natural shapes, almost like a think of a big downhill kind of pump track with a few big rocks and stuff thrown in. So, um, I think that'll be geared towards uh, someone who's actually willing to push it a little bit. Um, well, Melanie Pusion, maybe you see her how kind of dynamic she is on a bike and how much she works the trail. So maybe her, maybe Matt Walker, something like that. Well, you've actually seamlessly segued into what we're here to talk about today. Um, we're sort of we had those two episodes where we uh, went to the states and met Night Eyed and a couple of the local guys from uh, those new venues, Adam Craig as well, but. Before that, we'd sort of set off on a bit of a journey to review that second block of this year's racing. And whenever you mention a big downhill pump track, you're sort of almost talking about us spinning the globe back around to Switzerland and the specialised EWSE Crom Montana and EWS Crom Montana from earlier in the year. The, the top section of that was actually quite like that, wasn't it? Big, fast, undulating old bike park. Yeah, nah, truthfully, it was. Um... I think with you know with the the length of some of the stages in enduro and and how many stages are in a day, you know the more you can utilize the trail and and save energy and carry momentum um, through pumping and carrying speed, the better. And like you say, it was an old older kind of bike park section, and um, yeah, we we saw that kind of style of riding um, really come to the forte at those round at that round. Sorry, well, we're getting our we're getting ahead of ourselves a wee bit. Uh, so we we drove there. After Michelin EWS Ludenville, which was a pretty meaty drive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I, I can't remember the exact route, but as always, myself, um, myself, the dream team, uh, myself and big handsome Scottish John arrived first by uh, by a country mile. You probably went via some sort of meeting, but um, yeah, yeah, we we, uh, we had enough people and laptops in the car that we were basically a rolling meeting, so that was good, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you basically, you got there and then as much as you were self-congratulating um, on arriving there first, you actually nearly crashed a van through the ceiling of somebody's house, didn't you? I think I think this has been blown out a proportion a little bit, but... Well, I don't think y- it has. Yeah, we effectively parked on the roof of, well, I think it was like an underground <laughs> conference centre. <laughs> um, there was a lot of confused looking Swiss folk and us, obviously... <laughs> buzzing that would arrived in such good time but um, no drama I mean the Swiss 
Swiss know a thing or two about engineering, so needless to say, it stayed up. But um, we were uh, fairly swift to move the van and park it somewhere else. <laughs> I love the idea of a load of people sitting around a planning meeting about the Enduro World Series, and then lo and behold, the Enduro World Series van drops from the ceiling with you <laughs> inside it. <laughs> Um, it was definitely a case of the familiar and the unfamiliar, I think, for me. Um, the familiar being that we had the Z-Boys, the local organisers, um, who were behind the rounds that we held in Zerma, Adi, Nick, Matthias, Gianluca, those boys, uh, they know how to organise a bike race, and crucially, I think they know what makes a good race stage, a t- certainly a tough race stage. Um, then you had the unfamiliar, which were the stages. We, we had two years of getting conditioned to the fairly unique riding in Zermatt, didn't we? Big rocks, fairly straight lines, ridiculously tight turns. This wasn't that at all, was it? No, it was very different. Um, I think the, like you say, quite a few bike park sections, uh, a lot of high speed stages, um, a lot of good dirt, and also some amazing kind of technical riding down through the forest, which we didn't have a huge amount of in Zermatt. Um, the the Shaper Secret stage uh, that we managed to get our teeth into one evening. I mean, just in- incredible. And I, th- I, be- I believe that was a Queen stage, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Like, absolutely amazing stages. Um, we started this year doing a, a separate production team, Recky, to work out camera positions for the new Pro Stage videos um, that we were doing. And the one we did there was just amazing crack. Just all the all the boys just riding and sort of having to remind ourselves constantly to stop and actually do some work. Um, definitely my kind of stage, the jumpy stuff I can't really do up top, so we got that out of the way first. And then the steeper stuff, which I can do at the bottom. Um, yeah, just absolutely loved it. And it was just, it came out of nowhere at me, really. I was sort of, I, I kind of thought high alpine mountain, lots of rock, that sort of awkward medium speed, but no, it wasn't that at all. It was just, yeah, buzzing, absolutely yeah. buzzing for Cran Montana. Yeah. Well, you leave the jumps to me in the future, mate, and I'll uh, I'll leave the talking to you. How about yeah, that? it's probably best all round, actually, isn't it? Um, <laughs> massive EWSE course there, wasn't it? Um, sort of shape of things to come. Yeah, definitely the word epic was thrown around a few times um, when kind of outriding the course. It really, I think, showcased what you can access on an e-bike, you know, more remote stage locations, some stunning scenery. And um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, our first EWS of the year. So um, yeah. All right, well, first let's, EWS let's of the year. Yeah, let's tackle that. There were, there were some shots that the guys came back into the edit with that I think you sort of really started to get a clearer glimpse of just how epic e-bike racing is set to be. Really fast. Um, it was the recurring theme in Crom Montana, wasn't it? But the EWSE field was really pushing on up the pro stage, which was maybe, if not as technical as we've seen in other places like Pietra, it was incredibly physical and it was you know, incredibly tough. Um, up the pro stage, I was at the top uh, hoping to grab some interviews, nah, none of that, no stopping because you had them on such a tight time frame. We started to see a hint at just how physical discipline this is going to be, didn't we? Definitely, and I think the the e bikes are for lazy people narrative was certainly squashed um, at this event and and the ones that followed it. But you know, rightly so, given how kind of long and physical these races are, I, I think it's you know it is about 
in my mind, it's it's bringing the the technical, um, physical liaisons into the race, and you know these loops making them, um, as kind of full on for the for the athletes as possible, rather than just cruising between them, uh, cruising between the stages in in kind of boost mode. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was good to get the EWSE season off the ground, and um, yeah, stunning location to do it. I think we'll um, we'll talk about it more next time when we talk about the the race and finale. But if you haven't already, go to EMBN and watch Steve Jones's video from taking on the EWSE race there and just how much he suffered. Not that I'm saying I enjoy seeing Steve Jones suffer, but it, yeah, incredible. Um, also, so we're getting the stuff of note then from that race. We saw the launch of the new Yeti One Sixty E. As well, uh, it's sort of weird, isn't it? A big bike like that, huge moment for one of the most widely recognised brands in the sport. It might just be a hangover from my own sort of print journal past, but it, it feels like a really big thing, and now it's just out there, and inevitably it feels pretty normal all of a sudden. But I think Yeti did it right with that bike, didn't they? Launching it as they did at a big international bike race. What did you make of it? I mean, there's something about the the turquoise and yellow colour scheme that's just so iconic with racing. Um, yeah. You know, ever ever since I've raced, whether it's you know enduro downhill, there's always been that turquoise and yellow Yeti that just is so. Yeah, it's it's like it's one of these. It's difficult to describe. It's this kind of racing heritage that. As soon as you see the colours, you go Yeti, and you know yeah. the, you think of the athletes that have been through, have ridden for that brand, and um, it's 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 an iconic. You know, you put that colour scheme on a bike, and the bike's iconic, regardless of how good the bike is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we we talked about Yeti um, before on here, and just I'm in the process of moving house at the minute. I was tidying through some old boxes the other day, and I actually found. Um, couldn't tell you exactly what year it was but it was definitely whenever all bikes had 26 inch wheels um a, a limited edition yeti catalog that was like a black book like it's all sort of like the cover is just completely black no mention of yeti on it um i know they've got a bit of a following if somebody wants to get in touch uh, send me a dm and it's yours for probably four to five thousand pounds anyone can have it it's grand um <laughs> but yeah no certainly there are plenty of brands that would hack off limbs to get the kind of pedigree and heritage that Yeti have for racing. Whenever you go on their website, which just sort of by the by, Yeti's website has always been just as flush and as posh as you could possibly have a website, which I've always really appreciated. Um, have you ever owned a Yeti, Rick? I have owned a Yeti. Only, only owned one, which I think makes me fairly unusual because I think they've got a massive return customer base. But um, yeah, no, I had one for a while. It was brilliant. I had an ASR 5A. Um, mm. That was sort of like a 120, 130 mil bike before that was even a thing. It was a really cool bike. Um, flex days, which were arguably less cool. Um, yeah, so there's lots and lots of talk in the literature about the 160E, about EWSE, and about how they're really targeting... Um, doing well at the forefront of e-bike racing as part of what they want to do with the bike, and it's certainly it's one of those bikes that just you could black the you could blank the frame out and it would still look like a Yeti. You know, it's got that really distinctive shape. Um, disappointed almost though to see that the 
the turquoise and yellow paint scheme um, isn't offered straight away for retail, but I'd imagine that's something they'll probably do a turk version with, whatever they call those. Um, that should be pretty good. No, it looks absolutely amazing and cool to see it at one of the big races. And it was all sort of like, you know, spurred it away in the pits. And I think everyone who works on the race circuit's a, a massive bike geek. And you can see everybody sort of like scuttling around trying to get a wee glimpse off it. Um, I'm really into it. I think it's really, really cool. <laughs> I know you are. You went sharp about it all week. <laughs> yeah. we got to make a video about it and stuff as well. It was quite cool like that. Out. Um, it wasn't really... It wasn't quite as successful on the stage itself. It was great to see Jared Graves back. He had a bit of a tough time. Um, I think, like everyone really, still battling to figure out the pro stages. Uh, sorry, the power stages. Um I mean, we we talked about this from the start of EWSE, didn't we? Those technical climbs, they're as much about not losing time as they are about gaining time. Yeah, the, it's it's uh although although EWSE is relatively new, um there's a lot of riders um in Europe that have been doing this style of riding for quite a long time. It certainly took me by surprise when I jumped on an e bike and um you know I was out in finale last year and, and being pretty I remember us both being pretty blown away by what you could ride up and what the what the kind yeah. of the direction of the sport is out there you, and, and you, you they... more so you more so than me, I would say <laughs> up stuff. But um But I think it's it takes people by surprise as to what you need to be able to ride up and, and how you need to be able to do it. Like it's a it's a it's a technique and a style and a a way of racing that is quite unique but is is developing very very quickly and I think what we saw this year was a few riders come into it who weren't who weren't racing in 2020 who'd, who'd come in and and kind of I guess I'd maybe had an idea or a preconceived idea of of what EWSE was going to be and I mean talk about a steep learning curve like it's not easy you know when you see you know what the guys like Nico and and what they're doing to bikes and how they ride and and all the little you know, adaptions they they kind of do to to get up these things and to make themselves as you know, you know as as riders make themselves as economical as possible. You know, being lighter and um, you know some of the little tricks they have is just it's just amazing. And I think a few riders this year probably came in having not had the experience in twenty twenty and, and were a little bit behind the curve. So um, yeah, I think there was there was quite a few fell into that that bracket. But um, you know, hopefully they'll come back next year with a you know, a good idea of where things are going and, and we'll have a, a really competitive field. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely Yeti have targeted that as something they want to do well in and uh, more power to them. And definitely, I would say from my sort of nibbler point of view, uh, bike launch done right at a big race. you ever been involved in any bike launches? I don't think we ever crossed paths on any. Mm. Not off the top of my head. When I, when I rode for intense chain reactions it seemed it seemed like we had a new bike every month so probably did a few kind of uh yeah a few bike launches that I was unaware of but um no I can't say I've ever been involved with like one of these you know big uh you know embargo uh deals but yeah no they were yeah I don't think they do them that they used to do them whenever I was knocking about it was it was usually it was usually quite a good three or four days right um 
Now, as, as difficult a time as Jared was having out on the stages, one man, formerly known as the alien, Nico Vullio, not hanging about. He's just absolutely mesmerising to watch on the e-bike. Um, similar, really, to how incredible he was to watch in the heyday of downhill, too, actually. Just total control. Uh, looking so focused, every single movement. He won ahead of Kevin Murray and Antoine Rouget. Vuyo's still the man to beat, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. And like you say, his style on the bike is... Well, it's everything everything you expect from a 10 times downhill world champion, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it never fails to amaze me just how how balanced he is, how measured he is, but at the same time, going like a scalded cat, it's just... Yeah. The man is, he, is so comfortable at speed. He reminds me a bit of... You can transfer a lot of it into different sports, and you look the likes of uh, Ronaldo in football. He just, he just seems to have time that other people don't. Do you know mm. what I mean? He never seems to be rushed or flustered. Or There was one clip I remember uh, did the rounds on social media of him just absolutely devastating a chicane. Yep. Um, I remember in us. In Montana. I remember us watching it in the media room after the event and us both just <sighs> looking at each other going, Jesus. Like it's... He just, he somehow makes a straight line out of what, like really promising young up and coming UCI World Cup riders that he's racing against make two two to three corners out of. He just finds a straight line and just blasts through it like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. He's absolutely class and I think if you're gonna win an EWSA, then you need to come up with a way of beating Nico Vuyo, which history has proven time and time again isn't easy. Uh, pro women's class, Laura Charles took the win for our bear ahead of Tracy Mosley. That was a big one, wasn't it? For sure, and so I, I hear she only got an entry a couple of days before the event as well, a bit of a last-minute decision, but yeah, big win for Laurel Charles. Um, she really came alive in the third loop and actually won all four stages, um, so great to see great to see a, a fresh face winning um, in the women's EWSC, and um, yeah, um, good, to see, good to see some competition, and she, she, she really came alive. Final third of the race, so obviously fitness no issue there either. No, definitely um, sort of uh, a good example of the power to weight ratio you mentioned earlier, isn't she? There's not much to her, but she's obviously she can really throw an e-bike around. Um, she and she said to me at the end as well that she was really paranoid that she'd picked up um, a penalty on a start line somewhere in one of the stages because I think she was called she was called quite late to her start line. So then she just she got really worried that the wind was slipping through her fingers, so she just threw it all at the wall in that third loop, won all the four stages. Um, it was a hectic week of racing um, in Crom Montana. So busy, in fact, I managed to also, amidst all this, get a brand new Subaru Forester stuck on a mountainside. Not like your mate, Travis, uh, Trevor, Pepper, Trevor Pepperami, but... I beat him in a go-kart get... once. Just thought I'd say that. Travis Pastrana? I beat him in a go-kart once. True story. What, a Mario Kart? No. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was a go-kart place in Temecula. Uh, I was over staying with Jeff Steber at Intense. Um, it was 2010. Um, and we were riding with the Athertons in Laguna that day. And obviously they had the Red Bull connection and got invited to this, um, this go-kart at night with Travis was there. First heat. Um, it was fastest lap. Yours truly, fastest lap, Travis Pastrana second. 
Did you beat him? Did you did you beat him? So what? It wasn't actually a race. It was fastest lap. That is true, and he did have a broken collarbone, so he was driving one. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, the, the, the detail of the broken collarbone just slipped in casually at the end there. But I beat everybody else as well, and he was second, so can't have held him back too much. Well, this is it, yeah. Um, no, well done for that. Um, had I been there in 2010, I would have shaken your hand. Uh, <laughs> pro stage then for the EWS, Crom Montana, uh, Salad Ver. This was an absolute cracker. Um, one of my favourite stages in recent EWS history. It was great, wasn't it? Sorry, you're going to have to say that again. I was absolutely lost. Are <laughs> you just thinking about beating Trevor, Trevor Camerami in the go-kart? Just, just, just basking in my glory here. Come here a minute. <laughs> um, I was saying, pro stage, Salah there, one of the best EWS stages we've had in a long time. Yeah, proper cool stage. Um, like you said earlier, it went down a section of the power stage. Um, so it kind of shows you how how steep and technical that was. But had had a bit of everything, didn't it? It was... Started in the, the bike park, kind of maybe two-thirds of the way up the mountain. Fast, flowy, some kind of nice jumps. Um, then it kind of began to began to get a little bit kind of more natural. Had a little climb in it as well, like a, probably a 15, 20-second sprint up a road. And then the bottom section, yeah, technical, low me, some big holes, some big rocks, and then finish right down in the, in the heart of Grand Montana. So proper cool stage. I lo- actually, I, I think that that stage is, I know that uh, people in comments love to debate the the need for, for climbing in enduro. Um, I think that little road climb and that sort of proves, from a spectator's point of view, how interesting it can be. Um, mm. And I think, like, just from riding it, you did that top section and you were sort of like, you know, your arms were starting to burn. You'd be going for so fast for so long and then there was just this brilliant turn down left. And it all just closed in around you, really, really steep, really, really steep, really, really loamy. Um, loads and loads of line options as well, which we kind of saw a lot of variation in that very steep gully section that threw up some some real talking points. Uh, perhaps the biggest being Hattie Harnden and Noga Karen with some big crashes in the gully. Yeah, the, the gully section was interesting. It was, you know, some really fresh, deep loam. Um, with with also some some big kind of natural rocks uh, in amongst it, and obviously the the more riders kind of go through that section, the more the holes come out and the the gaps between the rocks become exposed. So, um, and just also you know hitting at a race speed, you know the holes can can sometimes be a bit harsher with with a bit more speed and a bit more momentum. So, um, we definitely saw it cause a few issues. The the compression at the bottom. Um, was uh, yeah, pretty pretty severe, and um, well, we saw, we saw some interesting stuff, didn't we? Because I mean, I just watched the highlights back before we started recording this, and actually, Martin Mays, Richie Rude, two riders who I mean, there was one line to riders right, which brought you very very close to like a cliff face where there was a big drop, and it was just kind of assumed that that was a straighter line that would be faster but as you say it landed you straight into that big compression and that's what caught out Harnden and Karem and both Richie and Martin got creative and kind of went their own ways around it but if you look at the speed they carry out of it really impressive yeah I mean showing their showing their class really it's um it was tough and you know you have to 
you have to have the strength to get through things like that and um yeah um certainly uh you know obviously a small section of of ultimately a big race but it shows you how how quickly you know how much trail these riders have to remember but also how quickly it can catch you out whenever you're whenever you're racing do you look for i mean there was so much loam in that section that gully section alone that it was always going to clear out a lot. And do you look at stuff that maybe it might look like the line, but I mean, you've got such limited practice in EWS. Do you, do you sometimes sacrifice that for what is going to be more predictable after however many hundred riders have been down it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's sometimes I don't, if with fresh sections like that, I'd always try and look at how or picture how it would deform, how it would, you know, what may come out, what was underneath the surface. Um, but it's not always possible to do it perfectly. Sometimes it's, you know, if if what you think might be the main line becomes um, maybe is, is a little bit less touched, then that might stay quite good, and then what you think might be your kind of B line might become the main line and become really exposed. And, you know, with that section being repeated as the last stage uh, as well, you know, the, the line in was, was quite different. There was a lot of, a lot of roots started to come out on the, on the right hand corner into it and the rocks became more exposed. And, um, it's that, it goes back to that riding on, on instinct rather than memory that I think is, is so crucial in enduro. Like you, you have to, to be able to kind of read the trail as you're racing it rather than, yeah. rather than kind of thinking this is how it's going to be when I get there. And um, and that that's truthfully, I think one of the biggest um, biggest separators um, between the the riders that are winning and, and and those that maybe aren't. Well, speaking of separators, Jack Moyer's shoulder. Uh, this was let we'll we'll come back to this. It was potentially a pivotal point in the season. Um, it Moyer, was, it Moyer was, and Rude had been locked together for all season and this was the first chink of light between them wasn't it Jack injuring his shoulder I th- yeah I mean I think Jack winning twice in Ludenville kind of we left there and come, came to Crans Montana thinking you know Jack was the guy to beat um, he'd he'd been up until that point they'd kind of shared a race win a piece at, at, at every event and then to win two in a row um it was kind of there was a, albeit not very. It wasn't very big, but albeit there was some daylight between them. We came to Crans Montana, and then in the space of one stage, Jack suddenly on the back foot. You know, he's he's injured his shoulder. We didn't know how bad. Um, Richie obviously won the stage. You know, sm- <laughs> smelt blood and um, and off he went. And at that point, we were thinking, you know, Jack's gone from potentially being in a position to win this title to is he even going to line up tomorrow which was yeah there was yeah. a lot of talk about that at the bottom of the stage I interviewed him all he could really say I think it's actually it's in the highlights isn't it it's just not good not good and you can see it wasn't just the shoulder he was referring to he was already sort of working through the permeations of of what it could mean for his season um it was I mean Jack out of the equation it was a fascinating race though because we really saw at this round Jesse Melamed and Martin Mays come in to the the fight as well and really sort of take Richie Root on, didn't we? Like it wasn't he didn't get this his own way by any stretch of the imagination. No, I think we'd we'd been um you know, up until that point we'd only seen race wins from Jack and Richie and 
definitely was good to see Jesse and Martin both come out swinging at this race and, and maybe they sensed that, you know, a, a win was possible, um, you know, with, with, with Jack being kind of injured and, and carrying that little shoulder or not little, but carrying, um, quite, quite a big injury by the, yeah. know, by what we know now. But, um, yeah, I think it was, it was great to see those two come out, push and uh, come out pushing and, 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 almost force Richie to ride for the win rather than think about riding for the season. Um, some some good results as well uh, in the pro women's category on that uh, pro stage. Obviously, Hattie Harnden and Luca Karem out the back after those crashes. Katie Winton was up in fourth, Estelle Charles in third. Uh, Miranda Miller was loving it in Crom Montana. I think I think that's what we, we kind of heard a lot of that from Jesse Melamed as well in that it was quite Whistler-like, wasn't it? It was, you need to be good at bike park, but also good at extremely technical riding. Um, Isabel Cordurier, though, down seventh, defending champion. She she seemed to struggle this week, didn't she? She wasn't just as big a fan of the Swiss course as she had been in other venues. No, I think she was... You know, Isabel, for being so dominant in previous years, was... She had her... You know, obviously, we know... She's had a lot going on outside of racing, and I think mm-hmm. um, it's difficult to see how much that impacts a rider. But we, we're used to seeing her at the forefront every every single race. But she did, you know, she was always she was always in in the top ten and, and usually the top five. But we did big, we did kind of see her being up and down through the season, and and this was one of the races that um, we kind of saw that um, from her, but. You know, it's it's difficult to it's difficult to say. I mean, you know, one stage like this, it's uh, you can't draw too many conclusions from it. No, I don't think you can. But at the same time, she was sort of intimating at the bottom that she just couldn't get her head around the speed at the top. She just wasn't comfortable riding at that pace. And I think the performance on this stage really sort of curtailed or got in her head a wee bit what was going on for the next day. Uh, Melanie Pujan, though. She, I mean, if you look back at a round, if you want to look for a round that she absolutely dominated in 2021, this was it. She won the pro stage by four and a half seconds. Um, Hills so far down, it's barely believable when you watch it back. Like she was just, (laughs) she was just on fire throughout. So second day then, the full course, um, Isabel was still sort of trying to find pace. She was sixth on the first stage of the day. But Hattie Harnden, um, fair play. Like she, she doesn't know when she's beaten. She came out of her corner swinging, and that was a, that was a big crash in the pro stage. And she won the first stage of the second day by a second and a half. Yeah, I mean, uh, never, never say die, eh? I mean, she just, um, and that, that's one thing about Hattie. She's she's had a few stages this year where it really hasn't gone her way, and she's lost a lot of time and been been down the order position wise. And she just seems to turn it round, and it doesn't get to her. The next stage, you know, one of the longest ones, just comes out and wins it, and it's, um, it's pretty, uh, pretty incredible to see. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, it isn't the first time this year, and she she doesn't seem to ever be out of the running. We've seen huge time deficits, you know, overturned on on you know final stages. We saw it in Ludenville as well. And um, yeah, I mean, if she's within thirty seconds, depending on the stage, you can almost never count her out. Yeah, and that's it. We talked a lot about how physically strong Hattie Harnden is, and how she's such a clever racer, going after the points as doggedly as she does. But she's also just 
mentally really really tough and really really resilient and i i don't mean that in a sort of a like you know like a boxer away in sort of toughness like she's just so she's so bubbly and she's so happy she just enjoys racing her bike and she seems to start every stage just looking forward to racing and i think you can see that in these results um someone else who really started making a big impression um i know on the two of us was slavomir lukasic uh Mm-hmm. at this race he ended the first stage of the day the second day in fourth and he'd, I think he dropped down to sixth throughout the stages but then he'd bring that back to end up fourth again by uh, by the time they crossed the line back in the town of Cron. Um we both shook his hand at the podium uh, just a top racer isn't he yeah big big, big result for him um, I think uh, probably put him on the map uh, as far as you know, a can a contender. Um you know, arguably, uh you could say now the next the next step for him is, is the podium and um yeah, big, big result for him. Um, you know, no asterisk to it, like he just was a top five guy on the day, you know, beat a lot yeah. of a lot of good riders. You know, you look at who's behind him, Kev McKell, he was on the podium twice in Ludenville. Um you know, you've got some some really really good riders behind him, and yeah, a very um, very big ride for him, and I, I think uh, a big statement as well as is you know he's um, he's now one of the top guys. Yeah, someone needs to get him signed up, don't they? Um, we talked about Richie Rude potentially smelling blood with Moyer injured. Moyer did take the start line. Um, Richie won that first stage of the second day ahead of Jesse Melamed. Uh, worth noting as well, Melamed um, on the third stage really damaged a rim um, just before the tech zone. Uh, I was I was there trying to catch an interview with him. Um, topless at the time, if I remember, as he was not me. That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> and they weren't they weren't stressing about it, but they were definitely extremely concerned about that rim. Um, they. Sort of common practice now is to it's almost like seal the tires and place on the rim, aren't they? Isn't it? And you can you can dent the rim to the point that it actually almost becomes it becomes more dangerous to try and change the tire because if it's still holding air, just leave it alone. So, I mean, Jesse like absolutely destroyed this weekend. He rode so well, but I think whenever you factor in something like that into the mix it just it speaks even more volumes to just how good an all-round racer he is yeah i mean these these kind of things happen and it's it's the management of them that ultimately is um you know the difference between a dnf and in jesse's case second place uh it it's difficult as a racer if you know you have a little problem like that or you're but you're carrying a kind of a mechanical or something that you can't really fix it's difficult to it's, it's difficult to have the confidence to attack at 100% you always feel like you you have to kind of um, back down a little bit just to nurse it through but I mean yeah Jesse seasoned racer won't have been the first time he's had to do this so um, you know if you've done it before and, and you know how to, to manage it and to, to nurse it home then um, 
you know, experience will definitely help in that situation. But great result for him after what was a pretty tough uh, event for him in Lunville. Yeah, massive, uh, we're talking about big results, massive win for Melanie Poujan. Uh, she was nine seconds ahead of Shar by the flag. Um, it's a huge margin these days in that uh, pro women's field. Good podium from Noga. Noga was up on the podium after that huge crash in the uh, in the pro stage. And I mean, we talk about you know how how tough and how strong the new guard of the likes of Hattie Harnden are. For Noga to come back through like that and climb up on the podium, that was some ride, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was another really impressive performance from Noga, and another performance that seemed to have been almost triggered by something going wrong. It's it's a strange one. She seems to almost be at her best when her back's against the wall. You know, a crash on the pro yeah. stage. She's um, a fighter, isn't she? Lost a heap of time, but it almost that that kind of okay race day. I've got nothing to lose. Kind of attitude really really works for her. I mean, we saw we saw it in Ludenville. She was flying. Um, and yeah, for her here to come back from uh, you know a pretty big deficit on the pro stage, I don't even think she was was in the top ten. She was so she was already you know fifteen twenty seconds back to then you know um, finish on the podium. Um, you know you wonder it makes you wonder you know if the pro stage had gone away, could she, could she have been fighting for the win? But um, yeah, she definitely I mean, she rides on she rides on emotion, doesn't she? Like she loves like she's at her best, as you say, when she's charged up and she's fired up about something. And I think we saw that like that crash. She was annoyed with herself. She was disappointed with it, but she turned that round into such a positive display out in the stages the next day that there's no doubt in Nova's um, class as a racer at all. Absolutely superb result there. Um, let's talk about Jack Moyer then. This. I'm always fascinated about stuff like this because I know that inevitably, as as a race fan, these are the big moments of seasons. Whenever you have two riders locked together like this, like the first one to blink and how they deal with it and how that then affects what goes on for the rest of the year, it ripples so dramatically. This is the stuff that would have it eventually won him the title. It arguably, this race, uh, he pulled it back with that shoulder taped into place to tenth place, which equal points at the end of the day um, which actually reminded me shades of Sam Hill's hard fought 12th place in Nyanza in uh, one of his title years yeah it was uh, definitely a, a championship ride from Jack um, you know knowing how bad that shoulder was now um, he's obviously gone in for uh, surgery a couple of weeks ago and I think it's fair to say that we both wish him all the best in his recovery and absolutely uh, hope to see him um back with uh, a vengeance in, in 2022 but I want to um, see him I want to see him mowing his lawn again I, I really enjoy Jack Moyer lawnmower man uh, <laughs> off season content um, I love as well that he started um, he started doing his Moy Moy TV uh, merch now and some of which is inspired by the graffiti that crept up at the, the Tweed Valley round but anyway yeah summer ride wasn't it yeah I mean I know what it's like to ride through injuries and and I've had my fair share of shoulder problems and yeah I, knowing what you, you kind of have to go through and, and those stages being so fast and so rough and like I yeah it's difficult to imagine how not just how kind of painful it must have been and how um, 
difficult to judge, but just to the confidence, like knowing that your shoulder's not right, knowing that you're carrying a pretty significant injury, but still having the the kind of the confidence to go out and, and stick it in the top ten and, and get a load of points. I mean, pretty uh pretty incredible. Yeah, and that's that's not to take anything away from from Richie Rude. Uh an absolute thumping win. He came home over six and a half seconds ahead of Jesse Melamed. Uh Martin Mays, a good result for him. Up in up into third place. He was nine point six six seconds back of Richie. And looking like looking like he was back at the races again. And we sort of talked about who was going to be the big sort of disruptor of the title race. And Martin was looking good fettle this week, wasn't he? Yeah, I think um obviously missed a couple of races early in the year when he when he was having his having his kid um was a bit hot and cold from then on and then this one you know right up there with third it was kind of like right you know he was uh he was slowly building as the year went on and um yeah a great result for him those three they were the class the field it's worth pointing out um as i say martin nine seconds back on the win and then fourth place superb performance from slavomir lukasic he's 25 seconds back you know so there's definitely that that sort of top four, I think, forming um, at the front and then the gap back. Uh, arguably, you could put Kevin McKellen there on his day and mm. the top five as well. He was uh, in fifth at this one. Another good result from him. Um, one thing that was I noted that was worth pointing out, uh, Antoine Vidal won the final stage, which was really impressive and something that... Did we, did we call that? Did we call stage wins by the end of the year? I, I kind of think for the purposes of this, we should say that we did. Yeah, we did, definitely. Same nice we did. One. Yeah, nice one, right? Yeah. Well, well well predicted. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, he was he was going like the hammers all week, wasn't he? Yeah, fresh off of, uh, fresh off of uh, I think, was it like a 12th place at Worlds and 12th place at this race as well? I mean, that's right. Definitely, um, yeah, definitely an all-rounder. And I think... You know, truthfully, for young riders, you know, Antoine, I think, maybe only 20 years old. Um, I th- I'm, I'm sure he could still be racing in under 21, which is pretty exceptional. Um, and here he is winning stages in, in EWS. But for younger riders like this, I th- I, for me personally, I think showing the speed, like seeing that you can ride as mm. fast as these guys, is it's a big confidence booster. And, you know, argue, you know, he's not going to be there every single stage straight away. You know, if you can win a stage, the confidence that gives you to know that you can ride as fast, or in this case, faster than the guys that are winning, um, you know, the, it, it gives you the confidence that you can then go and do that for multiple stages or, um, you know, going forward, um, you know, maybe even entire races. So um, quite a, I guess, a little, went flew a little bit under the radar, but um, quite, a, quite a big thing from him. And... Um, He's definitely yeah. got that. He's got that young downhill racers combination of natural talent and strength. And I saw so many clips of this year of just the bike just giving out and going, no, no more grip for you. Job's <laughs> done. And yet somehow he inevitably exits it without having lost any speed. Do you know what I mean? Like he just has that forward momentum that is just so incredible to watch. And I mean, you talk about him potentially still being able to race under 21s he stood beside him he's like a french Dolph Lundgren, like he's carved <laughs> out of wood do you know what i mean um, <laughs> he's a serious specimen but um let's talk about the team's championship then canyon collective 
out front leading the way after this one. Another good spread of results from them. Although not as dominant in the top 10 as we're perhaps used to seeing them. Yeah, I mean, Canyon seem to have had three riders in the top 10 every race. And this is maybe the first time they didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were... Still, you know, a couple of couple of thousand points clear of, of second place pivot factory racing. So, you know, Canyon, uh, year, you know, race to race, they, they seem to, you know, this seemed to be their worst race. And, um, you know, the rest of the season, they were just, you know, all three riders delivering, um, which kind of shows how good the, you know, the team environment is. And, and you know, ultimately, probably the, the culture that they've, they've created there. Yeah, definitely. Um there they were pushing on at the end of this one right listen that concludes then our little roundup from Crom montana needless to say we both really really enjoyed it if you're the person charged of pulling the clutch out of that subaru i apologize um but um yeah we had a brilliant brilliant time it really i don't think i think if you say it surprised you it implies that you went there with negative expectations that wasn't the case but it just surprised me about how much i enjoyed it it was very different to a lot of other swiss places that i've ridden is that fair to say would you go along with that no i I definitely agree and um i think we maybe had uh preconceived kind of notions of what it was going to be based on zermatt and geographically they're quite close but from from a riding perspective very very different um and you know it was uh a breath of fresh air in the series, I think. Um, some, I think that, some... that whole yeah between it and Ludenville, those were two debut rounds that really knocked it out of the park, weren't they? And they really were a breath of fresh air. I think you've mm. nailed that. So yeah, and I'm um, looking forward to return in in 2022. And I'm gonna take my golf clubs this time. Yeah, and yeah, beware of where you park the van next time. Um, yeah, listen, I'm going to go because I need to pack the bag because we are on our travels again. We're off down to London to um, to go to a track race, a velodrome uh, excursion to the Track Champions League, UCI Track Champions League, as guests of Eurosport. So that will be something to report back on. I dare say we'll have a good time. Looking forward to that, really. Thanks very much for uh, this little recap and little chat with me I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed myself yeah, thanks Rick I'll uh, see you at the station at 6.20 or whatever it is 6.20am tomorrow or the day after <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be the one holding a jar of marmalade right see you in a wee bit <laughs> see you in a bit <laughs>